The Water Tower Place lender is taking over the Mag Mile Mall. About a year after losing Macy's, the mall's largest tenant, the property's owner has decided to call it quits and move on. And it's time for my weekly conversation with Crane's residential real estate reporter, Dennis Rodkin, about local housing. This week, we'll take a look at a home that was once a funeral parlor, a house with an architectural pedigree saved from demolition, and lots more. This is a house in Lake Forest that was built in the 1940s on 90 acres, the people who owned it called it Dream Farm. I'm Amy Guth, and this is Crane's Daily Gist for Thursday, April 7th. When it comes to a professional like your doctor or lawyer, you want someone who knows you well. Wintrust believes you should have the same relationship with your banker, someone you can call directly and know they'll understand your concerns. Thousands of local business owners called their Wintrust banker when they needed Paycheck Protection Program loans. They called, Wintrust answered, and helped more than 11,000 local businesses secure funding. Learn more at Wintrust.com slash Daily Gist. Member FDIC. Hi there and welcome to Crane's Daily Gist Live, brought to you by Wintrust. This is the live version of the daily podcast. I'm your host, Amy Guth, and I'm joined by Crane's residential real estate reporter, Dennis Rodkin, here to talk about news this week from the local housing market. Hello, Dennis. Good morning, Amy. How are you? I'm well, thanks. So, as usual, lots of things to talk about, but we're less news today and more about specific properties. It's been a property-heavy week. Yeah, I have news coming up, but it's been a very heavy heavy week of property stories. Lighter math for you this week, maybe. <laughs> and that's probably good. <laughs> All right, give your poor brain a break. Exactly. All right, well, let's start by talking about Marcus Limonis, who is selling a Michigan Avenue condo that he renovated. It's a really nice one. It's in the Bloomingdale's building. Uh, He's got it priced at $4.985, nearly $5 million. Bought it in 2020 for $3.39. Bought it in September 2020, so really about a year and a half ago. Uh, Did a massive rehab. Very nice, very stylish, real uh, sort of high-end finishes, gold fixtures in the kitchen and bathrooms. Um, Lots of sort of snazzy light fixtures. It's a really interesting one. And Marcus Limonis, for people who don't know, is the CEO of two Lincolnshire companies, Camping World and Good Sam Enterprises, and also a reality TV star. He started out on Celebrity Apprentice. Then he has had a show for several years called The Profit, P-R-O-F-I-T, on CNBC. He later had one called The Partner. He's starting one for HGTV called The Renovator. And as you might know, Amy, this story kind of got caught up in that in a strange kind of a way. When the uh, condo first came on the market, the agent told me that Marcus Limonis and his wife, Bobby, are doing a lot of rehabs because of this TV show. And what he said specifically is they bought this with that intention. So I wrote, they renovated this condo for television. That night, Marcus Limonis, who, I hasten to add, has never responded to my emails. I've written about his purchases and sales in Lake Forest, on the Gold Coast, probably five different properties, more transactions than that with purchases and sales. Never responds. That night, I got an email from Marcus Limonis saying 
that's not true. We didn't do it for TV. Um, I sent him the text message I'd gotten from his agent, and he said, well, yeah, that's not the case. He said, this is my home when I'm in Chicago. This is where I sleep. This has my personal belongings. So it was kind of interesting to hear from him this time when I haven't in the past, but also to find out that this is actually where he uh, has been or is living when he's in Chicago. He said that he's searching for another one. Of course, he didn't say, I'm looking at this address or at this price range. I'd love to know because that would be my my whatever sixth seventh property of his to cover but this one at the moment is as i said just under um five million dollars 4.985 million you're exactly right really high-end finishes in this and everybody if you want to go to chicagobusiness.com you can see photos of the inside of the condo i mean you can tell they have a very kind of artful touch as they're decorating this yeah, it's uh, it it does actually look like the sort of thing you might do for a television show. Yeah. It's super stylish. It's got a it's got sort of a seamless look throughout. But for the television show they're doing, he told me, they're doing rehabs in Jacksonville, Florida. I think this looks really nice. This kitchen, um the gold fixtures and then I I really like that oversized print on the tiles. I love these big graphic designs. Once you've lived there for two or three years, maybe you start to think it's overpowering. I don't know. It certainly is not the gray on gray on gray that we see in so many listings. For such a clean and modern kitchen, it doesn't look kind of stark like sometimes modern kitchens do. It looks very warm and a lot of activity in it because of that graphic print. Because of the graphic print and because of the gold fixtures. I I have to say, I wouldn't have thought, I don't have gold fixtures in my house, and I wouldn't have thought that I'd be so attracted to them, but I think they fit well in that palette for the reason you said. This doesn't look like a cold modern design. It's got the gold and the wood that really sort of warms it up. Yeah, certainly. Well, we'll see where he lands next. Maybe now that you're in touch, maybe he'll talk with you again about that. Yeah, now I'll probably be hanging out there. And were you surprised to find that I don't have gold plumbing fixtures in my house? Actually, I was going to comment on that as soon as the stream was over. I'm quite shocked that you don't have gold fixtures in your home or graphic prints all over it. Yeah. All right, moving on to uh, let's talk about a house by a noted modern architect that was saved from demolition. Well, there are two we have. The first is Larry Booth. We also, and after that, we could talk about a house by the Kecks. Um, this is a house, the Larry Booth house is in Lincoln Park. I think you and I talked about it when it went up for sale in the mid, uh, in in um, 2019, uh, or I'm sorry, 2020. I think it was during, during COVID. Uh, it had been owned by one family since it was built in the late 1970s. Larry Booth, now an eminence on the architecture uh, horizon in Chicago, was a young man then. He was in his 30s. He was one of what was known as the Chicago Seven, these postmodernists who were rebelling against Mies van der Rohe. It's a triangular site in Lincoln Park. It's the coming together of three streets. One, the, the address is on Cleveland. And so he designs this house where here, where you're looking at the staircase, you see old buildings out on the left side of the photo and old buildings out the window on the right side of the photo. It's a great house. I walked through it when it was for sale. It, it had potential. It, uh, it was a candidate for demolition. The family of the original owners were selling it. This site back in the 70s wasn't much of anything, but now was the kind of place where you could build a five-story building with, I think it was 10 residential units. And the family said, you know, if a if 
a person buys it to demolish, that's what happened. Well, at that time, um, we may have talked about it on the podcast, a guy swept in, it was an auction, and a guy swept in and made a, a preemptive bid to get to make sure he got the house and to make sure it wasn't demolished. And he told me it would be a shame to take this down. It was in sort of bad shape. He paid $1.6 million for it at the time. And I was surprised this week to see it come back on the market at $3.25 million, um, completely rehabbed. What I think is really interesting is the designers for the rehab were Larry Booth's firm. Oh. Now called Booth Hanson Architects, which I thought was pretty cool. Yeah. You know, so Booth or Booth Hanson touched this building both in the late 70s and in the early 2020s. Um, all those wood floors are all new. I, th I think that was all carpet. Some of it was tile when I walked through a couple of years ago. Nice and crisp and clean white uh, as it was originally designed. But new kitchen, new bath fixtures. Um, really looks good. And it's 3.0. And the other thing is, I couldn't quite get confirmation, but the way this house is laid out, the main floor is one floor up from the sidewalk. And that lower floor was a rental. And it looks to me from the, the photos and from the square footage description, it includes that rental. I see. This is interesting. In the photos I took when the house was, as I said, a demolition candidate, the fireplace looked cool, but it was a little, it was a little dingy. It wasn't quite, you know, you sort of were like, yeah, okay, nice old modern fireplace. Now, I think if you can picture some furniture in this room, you can see that fireplace would really be a great focal point. You put some nice modern art up above it, and you've got a real sort of modernist uh, focal point. I love the detail, though, that Larry Booth's what's now his firm, Booth & Hanson, worked on this rehab. That's just such a lovely detail I don't think you hear about very often. Well, not many people are at work for nearly 50 years. Um, now, I don't know that Larry Booth himself was involved. Sure, sure. But his, his firm, which, of course, carries on the tradition of his, I mean, he's got such a body of work in Chicago. And uh, this house now sort of stands back among those. It, it didn't look bad. It just looked like, you know, it needed some love. And now it's had that. All right, now let's talk about the other house that's been saved from demolition. Uh, this is a Keck and Keck. This was a modern home built in 1948, and it was bought by an architect to save and then sold sort of mid-rehab to another set of architects. So we've got the, these sort of architectural longevity stories, even though this is not like Larry Booth coming back to the same house. This is a house in Lake Forest that was built in the 1940s on 90 acres, the people who owned it called it Dream Farm, which I think is beautiful. The Fagans, they were a couple from Chicago and they bought this 90 acre parcel in Westlake Forest, what really would have been rural then, and there would have been no Eden's Expressway or any of that to get up there. So I imagine them driving out on surface streets to their 90 acres out in the woods in Westlake Forest, and they had the Kecks build this beautiful house. Keck and Keck were pioneers of modernism in the Midwest, in Chicago. They were also pioneers of passive solar, which uh, the simplest description of that is you have most of your windows on the south so that the sun shines in and you have big overhangs so that in the summer, the sun is the high sun is blocked. But in the winter, the low sun comes right in. And then you have very few windows on the north, uh, which 
would be awfully cold in the winter. So the, uh, this is an example of that. It's it runs sort of south as well as southwest and southeast. It's kind of a it's not quite a V shape, but it's a big angled building nearly all glass facing out into the woods. When I went there, when it was also a candidate for demolition in, I think that was 2017, maybe 2016, this thing looked like you could flick it and it would fall over. It was in, it was in terrible shape. Uh, it had been, it was owned by the Fagans from 1948, uh, I think into the 80s or possibly the 90s. Then it was owned by a family member of theirs. But in in uh, the 2000s, it was bought by a man who was going to do the rehab. And then what he told me is, this is several years ago, he had a health, uh, uh, health circumstances kept him from doing it. So the house sat empty. It's falling apart. It's on the market for quite a while. He applies for demolition. This is, and so this is Keck and Keck, who were very important to the architectural landscape in Chicago and around the country with their passive solar. And the Fagans were pretty important. Mrs. Fagan uh, was painted by, there's a portrait of Mrs. Fagan by Salvador Dali. Um, they were, they were kind of interesting characters. And the house was sold with demolition capability, de demolition possible. <clears throat> Pardon me. It's bought by an architect named Christopher Ank. This is several years ago. $500,000 he paid. Uh, he also, he's, he's done other restorations, including a Seafarth house that was in, uh, sorry, a John Van Bergen house that was in Wilmette that he moved to Evanston. And people might remember that story. So he buys this one. He's doing the rehab. Uh, and then at some point, uh, I, I don't have the full story, but what he told me is he put it on the market with the rehab not complete because he thought you, the buyer, might want to do it, do something yourself. And he would like to fund another renovation. So these two architects who live in Oak Park come along and they say, yeah, we've done restoration. We love Keck. We'll do it. So they actually got it under contract several months before they actually they closed the purchase and then they did some of the uh, rehab that remained to get it to the point where they could get a regular uh, residential mortgage rather than a construction loan then bought it last week for uh, 1.185 million about twice what Ank had paid for it but I don't know how much he put into it and they're going to continue the renovation so um, it, it, it's been rehabbed first by one and later by two architects and they're they're just delighted it's such a great house i got to walk around um you saw i took a picture of them it's such a great house it's this low slung property low slung house on this wooded property you can see that this is that front wall this is the north wall with almost no windows it pulls you pull up it's almost like oh this must be the garden wall right there's no house there and then you go in and it just opens up with those glass walls and windows to, um, in some cases, they're floor to ceiling, so they'd be glass walls, and in other cases, their window height, just this bank of glass looking out at the woods, also looking out at a pool. This is interesting. When I was there the first time, I didn't know there was a pool because it had been covered up and it was so overgrown with weeds and stuff, you didn't even see a pool cover. So when they told me they have a swimming pool, I was surprised, but they're going to do that later. Uh, that's not by the kecks. Um, and so this house that could have been lost, just like the Larry Booth one, was saved and rehabbed and now, or mostly rehabbed, and now the rehab will continue under another team. 
And I love kind of the architect after architect after architect hopping in on this. Yeah, I kind of wanted to write a headline that said like, architectural treasure saved by an architect now owned by two more architects, but somehow the editors at Cranes didn't go for that. <laughs> Imagine them not going for a very confusing headline. Exactly. For me repeating myself. <laughs> right, right. Well, that that is a very cool story, though. It is. And it really is. I mean, this is a super cool house. Oh, yeah, it, definitely. And, and I love that, that every time we've talked about a house that had that kind of like passive solar yeah. in it. That's so interesting. And, and just like to, to be thinking of stewardship in that way and in such a thoughtful way in a house. It is, you know, and so it's the 1940s when energy is cheap. Um, they weren't paying for the power to air condition. There was no air conditioning, but they'd have been, you know, furnace and everything else. But even so, even though energy was cheap, the Kecks were thinking, well, yeah, but we can use nature. We can use just the way we site the house and a few other details to keep the house cool in summer, warm in winter. Uh, and then that kind of went away. And we really should be going back because we have some real shocks uh, in energy prices. All right. Now let's talk about this house. I was so curious about this. The minute I, I read this story of yours about a funeral parlor turned into a two flat that's on the market in Bucktown. This, yeah, and, and it's a really cool building. So this was built in the 1930s, right across from what's known as the Polar, what was known as the Polish National Cathedral on Dickens in Bucktown. Uh, the church right across the street is now Presbyterian and the funeral home isn't a funeral home. It's been a home, a private residence. We don't know how long. These people have owned it since the 90s. It was already a private residence. I did some research that showed that it was still a funeral home in 1970 from 1938. Still the Winarski funeral home for all those decades. So you'd have come into a foyer and then come through these amber glass doors into the funeral hall. This is a two flat. The funeral hall has been made residential and then the space where they lived upstairs was also residential. But the interesting thing about this amber glass is it was in all the windows of the funeral hall as well, the funeral parlor as well. And these present sellers said that when they moved in in the uh, 90s, it was kind of dim because you had all this amber glass along the sides. So they took it all out. It's all in storage. And they put in these stained glass windows, which are most of them are salvage that they bought at a salvage auction. And some of them are duplicates of those salvage windows. So it looks like they're the originals because it's one pattern all the way down the side. It's a it's sort of a prairie style pattern. And then above you, there's this barrel vaulted ceiling. But this is that main room where from 1938 until the 70s, families originally, Polish families, later probably other families as well, would have been waking their loved ones. So I asked the people who lived there, you know, they've lived there since the 90s. And he said, no, it's really not creepy. I would have asked them that too. <laughs> is it creepy at all? It's it's really cool. So they they have the, the kitchen is in this sort of this ante room. I don't know what that was, whether it was like a chapel, whether there was a stage there where the coffin would have been. Don't really know. But um, just in general, it's just, it's a great room. It's actually made better, I think, by the replacement stained glass, not only because you have more light, but because you have that sort of prairie style. Um, there's sort of stylized flowers in the glass as opposed to the amber. Then you go out from here to a, a little 
courtyard where they have a koi pond. And beyond that is the garage. And the the courtyard is sort of enclosed. It's not, you know, it's not exposed to the neighbors or anything. And then on the top of the garage, they have a deck. So you've got a lot of these things that you would have in a Bucktown home, some private yard space, a rooftop deck, but you're living in a funeral home. And the family that are selling it, um, they've, they have rented one floor, rented the other, lived on one, lived on the other. They also pointed out that you can very easily turn this from a two flat into a single family home. Part of what makes that easy, the staircase is not, it's not like in a two flat where the stairs are sort of essentially in an enclosed space. It's just this nice gracious staircase that rises up on one side, more like what you have in a house than what you have in a two flat. And I love the colors of this second floor kitchen. I want this kitchen. Yeah, that's a very cool kitchen. And, you know, not only do they have very cool vintage furniture that you can see in the staging photos, but that vintage stove, or at least vintage look stove that they have in both the kitchens is, I don't feel like we see that very often at all. There are just a lot of features in here that I think really would make this attractive. There's one other thing I forgot to say about the funeral home. I apologize. So that was the Winarski funeral home. And one of the children of the Winarskis who ran the funeral home was a man named Warren Winarski, who started one of the most famous wineries in California, Stag's Leap. Oh, how interesting. Yeah. So he grew up there and his bio talks about his father making uh, dandelion wine and things like that at home, which would be at this funeral home. What an interesting footnote of the history, already interesting history of this place. Oh, and I forgot to say, it has gone under contract. I wrote about it on Friday, and I think by Monday or Tuesday, it was under contract. The asking price was $1.45 million. Don't yet know uh, what the sale price is. It had only been on the market for a few days when I wrote about it, and also when it went under contract. So I'm going to guess that the sale price is close to that asking price of 1.45, and of course, I'll watch and report what it comes out as. All right, one more house to talk about, and that is a house owned by Jennifer Pritzker. Tell me about this one. For a while, Jennifer Pritzker had two houses near the Evanston Lakefront, this one actually on the Evanston Lakefront and another around the corner, that were both operated as uh, bed and breakfasts. In 2012, she bought, she, Jennifer Pritzker and Tawani Enterprises, bought four houses in Evanston. This sale yesterday is the sale of the fourth uh, all, they're all gone now. The two were operated as bed and breakfasts. The other two, uh, they would never really, t- the Tawani and Jennifer Pritzker would never say what the use was of a house on Judson and a house on Sheridan Road. Those were both sold off in 2019. Again, they were all bought in 2012. Those were bought in 2019. Uh, the, the one around the corner from this was sold in 2020, and this just sold this week. Um, this one sold for $3.6 million. It was built in the 1880s. Jennifer Pritzker bought it again in 2012 for $2.8 million and did a massive restoration, turned it into a bed and breakfast. It has, it's so nice. That Tudor exterior was spectacular and looks across the street at Evanston's Lakefront Park. It's like, if you've ever done Evanston's Lakefront, that is part of the experience is looking at those great houses that line the other side of the street. And then this one has obviously a really beautiful wood foyer and staircase entry where you, I mean, you really commit, you're coming into a a very commanding place. And then you've got plaster friezes in the dining room 
wrapping the upper parts of the walls. You've got this stone fireplace and all this wood. Uh, I don't know who the original owners were, but you can just imagine an Evanston uh, or a Northwestern professor in the 1880s. A lot of those nice houses. There's one amazing house in Evanston built by a music professor that just makes me sweat when I look at it. But just imagine you're some, you know, classics scholar in here writing your important tome and looking out at Lake Michigan. I can absolutely imagine being that classic scholar sitting there writing. I can absolutely imagine that. I thought you could. For sure. And then the servants are feeding feeding us dinner here. I, I, I guess I've sort of I've lost track of how many dining rooms there are in this place, but it may be because, you know, we're all staying in this house and you want to eat in one room and another set of guests wants to eat in another. I mean, this house is, it's really got some details, you know, 1880s. 1880s, but there's a a rehab that took place. And I don't know, you know, how much of that is original and how much is rehab, but it looks just like really perfectly preserved detail from the 1880s. It really does. Uh, Pritzker and Tawani have done great work, not only in Evanston. We've seen uh, properties in Rogers Park that the firm has redone. There are both rehabs and new construction. And uh, Tawani is in a building on Michigan Avenue that was restored. Just absolutely. It's uh, the only word is splendid. If you go in, um, is it the Monroe building? It's right across from the Art Institute. They restored the tile ceiling of the lobby. I think it's Rookwood. I'm sorry that I, I didn't write this down beforehand. But that to me is like the most exquisite lobby from the early 1900s on Michigan Avenue. And that too was restored by Pritzker and Tuani, the one, the building that the military museum is in, that the Pritzker military museum is in. Right, right. That one. Indeed. All right. So, you know, really all these projects are done with just great care, superb taste and care. Yeah, certainly. All right. Well, Dennis, what is coming up in the week ahead? Well, more news. <laughs> I'll tilt that way. Uh, we have a couple of things. The annual report from a Colorado consultancy on what are the biggest volume brokerages in Chicago, which really does matter because, you know, we had a housing boom all the way throughout 2021. How did the big brokerages do? I also have a report on um, how our affordability compares to those in that in other cities. And we're also looking at a very interesting rehab project in Gary, Indiana. Okay, sounds good. Well, we will talk this time next week. Thanks so much, Dennis. Thanks, Amy. Coming up, JetBlue offers $3.6 billion for Spirit, and the move potentially thwarts Frontier's competing bid for O'Hare's third largest carrier. We'll talk about that and more right after this. Cranes invites all general counsels, chief legal officers, and senior in-house counsels to our general counsel breakfast on May 17th. The event will feature Chicago's top general counsels offering perspective on current legal trends in business and litigation. Plus, our exclusive panel takes a closer look at how general counsels can best manage the risks and challenges in today's landscape. CLE credit will be available. To learn more and find out how to attend, visit chicagobusiness.com slash events. You're listening to Crane's Daily Gist with Amy Guth. Crane's Albie Galoon reports that about a year after losing Macy's, its largest tenant, Brookfield Property Partners, the owner of Water Tower Place Shopping Mall on North Michigan Avenue, has reportedly decided to throw in the towel and hand the property over to its lender. Galoon notes in his reporting that it's a step that would have been unthinkable before the COVID-19 pandemic set in motion a wave of store closures on the Mag Mile. 
Nearly a quarter of all Magmile retail space is vacant today, more than double its vacancy just four years ago. And by letting go of the mall, Brookfield is acknowledging that the time, effort, and money required to revive the struggling property wouldn't be worth it. And another factor is that Water Tower Place has lost so much value that its equity investment has been wiped out. Galoon reports that it's now worth less than the more than $300 million in debt owed on it. New York-based Brookfield is transferring ownership of Water Tower Place to MetLife Investment Management, a unit of the property's lender, New York insurer MetLife. And Water Tower Place was a pioneer in Chicago retail, the first indoor mall in the city when it opened in 1975, part of a big mixed-use complex that included condominiums, office space, and the Ritz-Carlton Chicago. Chicago-based real estate investment trust General Growth Properties owned Water Tower Place through a joint venture for more than a decade before Brookfield took it over through its 2018 takeover of GGP. Brookfield also owns the Oakbrook Center and Northbrook Court Malls. Alderman Ray Lopez of the 15th Ward has announced plans to campaign for mayor. Crane's contributor Justin Lawrence notes that the second-term alderman who serves portions of the Back of the Yards, Brighton Park, and West Englewood neighborhoods is among Mayor Lori Lightfoot's harshest critics. Earlier, Lopez tweeted, Chicago, I'm in. His entry to the race comes before Lightfoot has formally announced her re-election bid. The first-term mayor has increased her fundraising in recent months, bringing in $781,000 in the first quarter, and is expected to make a campaign announcement shortly. Lopez said in a statement, quote, I love my city and, like most Chicagoans, I am sick and tired of watching Chicago flounder at the hands of a rudderless ship. His statement continued, quote, The time is now to provide our great city with the compassion and leadership it deserves. I'm in, and I hope Chicago will join me. Lopez is the first serious challenger to announce their intention to run. Another Lightfoot critic, Fraternal Order of Police President and former Chicago police officer John Catanzara, has said he will run against the mayor, but has not mounted a formal campaign. 2019 mayoral candidate and businessperson Willie Wilson said last week that he'll make an announcement on April 11th on whether or not he will run in 2023. Rivian Automotive produced less than 2,600 vehicles in the first quarter as the maker of plug-in trucks grapples with ongoing supply chain and pandemic issues. Rivian said Tuesday in a statement that it also reaffirmed its guidance to build 25,000 electric vehicles this year. The figures include a combination of its R1T battery electric pickups and R1S SUVs, along with battery electric delivery vans for Amazon, a major shareholder of the company. The company delivered just over 1,200 of that 25,000 vehicle target in the first three months of the year. The latest results bring the total output from Rivian's downstate normal plant to about 3,600 EVs since production started in September. Rivian, often noted as a leading challenger to Tesla, who is the market leader in the EV space, has struggled lately with the realities of launching and ramping new EV products. The automaker has cited the war in Ukraine as adding to supply chain and cost pressures. Rivian, whose market value briefly exceeded $150 billion after its November trading debut, has also contended with a slumping stock price and a U-turn on vehicle pricing. That forecast for production of 25,000 vehicles this year includes 10,000 vans to Amazon by year's end. Bloomberg reports that the production goal is half of what the plant is capable of, with assembly lines constrained by parts shortages. 
JetBlue has offered to buy budget carrier Spirit Airlines for $3.6 billion, potentially throwing off a competing bid by rival carrier Frontier. Bloomberg reported that Spirit said Tuesday it received an unsolicited proposal from JetBlue to buy outstanding shares for $33 a piece in cash. Spirit will work with financial and legal advisors to evaluate the offer, according to the statement. The development comes about two months after Frontier reached an agreement to buy Spirit for $2.9 billion. Frontier criticized the competing offer, saying such a combination would raise fares and reduce flight options. It also questioned JetBlue in light of an unrelated federal lawsuit to block an alliance with American Airlines. Bloomberg's reporting also noted that Spirit's allure perhaps stems in part from an industry-wide turn toward domestic markets and leisure travelers in order to recover from the impact of the pandemic. Larger carriers are now moving more heavily onto that turf as business and international travel demand both remain low. And a Spirit acquisition would give JetBlue the growth that it's long sought, Bloomberg notes, moving it closer to competing with larger carriers and assuring its spot as the fifth largest airline in the U.S. Spirit is the third largest carrier at O'Hare, with 4% of passengers, compared with 37% for United and 34% for American. That according to Department of Transportation data. Frontier has about 2%, though it's moving most flights to Midway. JetBlue has less than 1% of the capacity at O'Hare. That's Crane's Daily just for now. Check in on our continuous news feed at chicagobusiness.com. Thanks so much to today's guest, Crane's residential real estate reporter, Dennis Rodkin. You can follow all of our conversations on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to find your audio on demand. Don't forget to subscribe and please rate and review Crane's Daily Gist. Our show is produced by Todd Manley at Your Sight Studios. I'm Amy Guth. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll meet you right back here next time.